Wednesday night. Take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. You know, I went back and I counted up all the messages that we have had in the book of Hebrews as we've been studying through the book. Uh, Today we are on message number 34. Now, we've got several, a few more, at least two more uh, in chapter 13, so we're going to end up somewhere around 36 messages or 36 studies together in the book of Hebrews. This morning, though, we get to chapter 13, and we're going to cover the first six verses in chapter 13, and we're going to be talking about Christian living. We're going to be talking about Christian morality, how we are to live our life every day, how we are to conduct ourselves in this world. The title of the message is Our Continuing Conduct. Continuing Conduct. Because there's so many people that I have found, I've come to realize, so many people think that salvation is a one-time event and that you get your ticket punched for heaven and then you go back and you live any way that you want to and you're okay with God. That is a lie straight from the pits of hell. Because salvation is a lifelong commitment to the Lord, and because of that, there's a certain way, a certain standard by which we must live. We we give ourselves completely to the Lord Jesus, and because of that, He lives our life through us, so that we are living a life that is pleasing unto Him. In Matthew chapter 13, Verse 33, Jesus is talking about bearing fruit. And He says, a tree is known by its fruit. Now if you walk outside and and you think you're looking at a plum tree, but yet you take part of the fruit or take a fruit and you bite into it, and if it's a persimmon tree, you're going to know the difference right away. Anybody ever had tasted a persimmon? I begged my dad one time. We had a persimmon tree in our yard, and I was, I was small. And you know, the fruit looks really good. So we were standing around, and I said, Dad, I want, I want to taste a persimmon. And he said, Son, you don't want to do that. And I argued with him back and forth, and I said, Yeah, I want, I'd, I'd like to taste a persimmon. There were some other people around, and you know, other men, and you know, I, kinda, I guess I was trying to impress people and that sort of thing. Well, he says, Okay, go ahead. Take you a bite of that persimmon. I did. I immediately realized it was not a plum. And my mouth drew up so tight I couldn't hardly speak because it it just has that effect on you. Your tongue don't want to move. Your lips don't want to operate right because it, it is so sour and bitter and it just draws you up like that. Jesus said a tree is known by its fruit. You look at people's lives, you can look at the way they live, and you will know whether they try to live a Christian life or not. So many folks don't try, and yet they profess to know the Lord Jesus. By that, we know we might be looking at a persimmon tree instead of a plum tree. Now, people will look at you and say, don't judge me. No, I don't have to. The Word of God says you know, exactly what we're supposed to look at, and we follow the Word of God, and if, and if your life doesn't line up with the Word of God, then we are obviously able to see the difference. Now, the writer of Hebrews here goes into these verses of Scriptures and he begins 
With each verse, he changes the subject just a little bit because he's talking about different areas of life and how we are to behave in these areas. He, we went back and we talked about last week, we were talking about how God has called us. He has called to the world and he's offered salvation to everyone that would submit themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that call has gone out. We have answered that call, those who have, of us who are in Christ Jesus. And if we are in Christ Jesus, then there's a certain standard by which we must live. The writer lays out these things for us today. In the first six verses, we get six different ways that we are supposed to live for Christ. So let's read our verses together today. Beginning in chapter 13, verse 1, reading through verse 6. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? How we are to behave, our continuing Christian conduct. Let's pray this morning. Father, again, we bow before you, knowing full well that you are on the throne, you are in control, you are our master, the God of all, creator and sustainer, the one who nourishes us and strengthens us right now, the one who holds our life in his hands. Father, help us to be pleasing in your sight. Help us as we study your word to know how we are to interact with you and with this world. Father, show us where our character is deficient and help us to make corrections as needed. We want to be pleasing in your sight, Father. And in order to do that, we must submit ourselves to you. Thank you for that opportunity today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. A tree is known by its fruit. Now, as we begin in verse 1, the first part of our conduct has to do with love. Be known for your love. If you want to be known as a Christian person, then you need to be known for your love. So, on the opposite side of that, the opposite side of the coin is, if you don't want to be known as a Christian, you go around not loving people. Now, there's a whole lot of people that do that. There's, there's a lot of folks that they will, they will not, it, it seems, they don't even try to show you any type of love. As a matter of fact, they withhold those things and they try to treat you badly, it seems. But if you name the name of Christ, then what you need to do is be known for your love. Be known for your love. You see, in, in John chapter 15, verse 12, Jesus said this, This is my commandment, that you love one another. Love one another. Jesus commanded that. Now, 
If Jesus commanded it, and we claim that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, then we ought to be known by how we love unconditionally. Now that doesn't mean we accept any and everything. It just means we love people even no matter where they are. We love them. No matter what they're doing, we love them. But we will tell them, we'll love them enough to tell them that they are doing wrong if they're doing wrong. Loving someone doesn't mean that you, you uh, offer yourself as a doormat and let them just walk all over you. No, it means, look, I love you and I'm going to always love you. But if you're doing wrong, I love you enough to tell you you're doing wrong. If you're about to put your hand in the fire, I love you enough to tell you not to do that and tell you the consequences of it. So, the first thing that we've got to understand is that we've got to be known by our love. You know, in uh, chapter 13 of Corinthians, uh, the, the love chapter, you know, it says, love bears all. And it says love doesn't hold another person uh, there's no grudges with love. When you love someone, you, you genuinely care for them enough to not only tell them what they're doing wrong, but help them when they are down. Love is the key. Doesn't matter where you're at. Among family, at church, work, wherever. Without love, there is no interpersonal relationships that stand. You see, brothers and sisters, we here in the church must love one another. Now, you might look around and say, well, I don't like that person very much. Well, you don't have to, but you've got to love them. You may not agree with them. You don't have to, but you've got to love them. And, and what that means is, I've got faults. I mess up. I do things that I shouldn't sometimes. But your love is not only going to gently correct me, but love me nonetheless with all my warts and everything. I don't actually have warts. Well, But no matter, no matter what's going on, you, you will care for me enough that you're not going to let that affect our relationship overall. Now, you might come to me and say, hey, look, I don't like what you did there. I don't agree with that. And I'm going to say, I respect your opinion. And we agree to disagree. But we're still friends. We're still brothers in Christ. Whatever it may be, we've got to come together and we've got to understand that it's not all about me or what I want, not all about you or what you want, it's about what the Lord wants and we've got to find a way to make it work, come together, and the only way to do that is through love. He said, let brotherly love continue. Continuously. And that's not a one-time thing. That's a lifelong thing. Everywhere you go, everything you do must be centered in, must be wrapped around, must be continued in love. Verse 2, be known for your hospitality. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. Now in this day, back in the New Testament times, 
it was a common practice that if there was someone visiting your city, that if you had the opportunity, what you should do is invite them into your home and house them, feed them whatever they needed, and send them on to uh, their journey if they were leaving. That was hospitality. That, that was how they, they uh, uh, had things organized in those days. So if you were traveling, you were basically dependent on somebody's hospitality. These days, we're a little more independent. You know, we don't want to uh, impose ourselves on anybody and that sort of thing. So our hospitality has to take on a little bit different uh, mindset because we live in a different culture and a different time. But what Paul, what, I mean, what the writer of Hebrews there was saying was, hey, look, this is what we do. We take care of one another. And the way that we do that now is if we see a brother or sister in need, whatever it may be, we help them the best that we can with what we have. Because as we're going to see here in just a little bit, God owns it all anyway. And just because we have it don't mean we should keep it. It means that we have it in order to bless somebody else with it if they have a need that we can bless them with. So our hospitality must be known. How welcoming are you? How welcoming are we as a church? Now I'm proud of you church because there's very few people that come through those doors back there that you don't welcome in a good way. I, don't, I can't name one instance where somebody's come in that wasn't welcomed. And, and that's key. That doesn't happen always, everywhere. What, ha what has to happen is when God sends someone to our church, we must welcome them. Because God brought them here. And if we don't welcome them, then we are failing our God. Hospitable means welcoming. It means making sure that if somebody comes here, we're taking care of them. We meet their needs. Whatever it is, we, we go out of our way, spend more time with them, whatever it may be. We show them where a Sunday school class is. You know, hey, look, do you want to look around our church? Let me show you this. Let me sh whatever it is, make them feel like they're the most important thing in the world right then. Because you know what? They are. Because right then, in that moment, they are God's ministry for you. They are, they are God's representative, and it's your job, your ministry, to be a part of whatever they need right then. That's what the church is for. You know that we don't come here just, just to worship God and, and, and soak in it in ourselves and hold it ourselves, uh, our faith. No, we come here to get energized. We come here to get what we need in order to minister out there. We minister to each other in here, and then when we get out there, we minister for each other to the world. So if God brings somebody from the world here, brings somebody from outside of our church family here, we, it's our duty to welcome them. It's our duty to make sure that whatever they need, their needs are met. How's your hospitality? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, He said, if you have done it to the least of these, you have done it to me. Take that into consideration. Somebody comes through those doors, and we don't treat them nicely, if we don't welcome them, if we're not hospitable toward them, then we have treated the Lord Jesus Christ by that same measure. So folks, 
as Christians, as people who have accepted Christ and surrendered our lives to Him, it is our duty to be hospitable toward everyone that we meet. Everyone. It's not going to be easy. If it was easy, everybody would do it. But it's our job, our duty, our calling. Now, again, like I'm saying, it doesn't mean that we are floor mats for anybody, that they come and just wipe their feet on us, but it does mean that we bend over backwards whenever it's possible to make sure that we help them the best that we can. Be known for your hospitality. Be known for your love. Verse 3, Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Be known for your ministry. Now, Paul spent a great deal of time in prison because of the gospel. He would go to one place and uh, he was arrested and he spent years in prison where he wrote a lot of the New Testament in prison. So Paul, and I'm not saying that Paul was the writer of Hebrews, I'm saying this is possibly Paul's writings. But Paul wrote a lot from prison and a lot of times people were ministered to while they were in prison, because they were in chains for the gospel. And I believe that's, that's the essence of what's saying here. Not that we shouldn't visit anybody in prison, but we should, especially if a brother or sister in Christ is in prison or jail, we need to make sure that they are ministered to, remembered in prayer. There's a physical response, be, being able to do whatever it is that we can do to help them, but there's also the spiritual response the, the prayer response that we need to pray for them while they are incarcerated. So I, that's, that part of this is, is what I believe, that at that time the church was going through such persecution that many of them were being uh, arrested and put in prison because of the faith. And I believe, the writer was saying, remember those who are of us, he says, because it can happen to you, he says, while you're still in the body, it might happen to you too, so remember those who are in prison, and though, that way, if you happen to be in prison, they'll already be praying for you as you go. Be known for your ministry. What is it that you do? How is it that you conduct yourself out in the world that people know that you're a Christian? You see, what that is, is that means you are conducting yourself in a way that's pleasing unto the Lord, and they recognize who is your Lord. And the way you conduct yourself is your ministry. It might be at work. It might be at play. It might be whatever it is that you're doing. Whatever it is that you're doing, that is your ministry for the Lord. Because the Scripture says, in all that you do, in everything that you're a part of, make sure that you are doing it as unto the Lord. Because you are. Because, you know, the, the Scripture says that we are His slaves. So whatever work we are a part of, we are doing it for Him, the Master, as a slave, we're conducting His business. Whatever the ministry is, whatever part you play in it, whatever it is that you're doing, it is a calling of God on your life, so you must complete it according to His purpose, for His honor and His glory. Be known for your love. Be known for your hospitality and your ministry. Verse 4. Okay, we're fixing to open up a can of worms. Big can. All right? Marriage is honorable 
among all and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Be known for your faithfulness. Be known for your faithfulness. Now, immediately our mind goes to the, the marriage because that's what we're talking about right here. That, that's what the, the context. The marriage bed is honorable. And what the Scripture says is God will judge all of those who don't honor the marriage. If you are unfaithful in your marriage, or if you're not married and you are promiscuous, promiscuous, you'll be judged. And guess what? Our world don't want to hear that today. You know, I've taken a lot of um, flack for my stand on conducting weddings, being an official in a wedding ceremony. One of the things that is in the uh, wedding guidelines that I have is that uh, you must not be living together prior to the wedding, not in a marital relationship prior to the wedding. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of folks that disqualify themselves because of that, and it's not a problem. Uh, I've had people really get mad at me because of that. I had a guy ask me one time, says, well, if, if you won't conduct this wedding, then, um, you know, they're living in sin. So it seems like you would want to stop that. You would want to make it right. I do. But I can't make it right. Only they can. You see, the only way to make, make it right of what they're doing is for them to repent and ask God to forgive them and then change their life before they get married. Repentance is the only way things change. If a preacher signs off on a marriage, that doesn't change what's happened. It, it does. Repentance has to take place before it's made right. Now, the Scripture says that we are supposed to be faithful. Marriage is honorable among all in the bed undefiled, but fornication, fornicators, adulterers, God will judge. We don't have to go too far in that because we've, we've got an ex, a specific example right there that, uh, that the writer is already telling us about. But here's, here's the thing. That's just a specific example that he brings up, but he's talking about faithfulness altogether, and he says God's going to judge unfaithfulness, not just in a marriage relationship, but in our relationship with Him. In our relationship with God Almighty, what He is, has, is going to do is hold us accountable to what we've promised, our covenant with Him. Because in our covenant with Him, what He has done is He has given everything for us and we have given everything to Him. And if we haven't given everything to Him, then we are not fulfilling our end of the contract or our end of the covenant. And if we are unfaithful to Him, then we're going to be held accountable. And if it doesn't hurt us, if it doesn't bring a sense of guilt on us for the unfaithfulness that we have in our lives, then your master's not God. Because if you are God's slave, if you belong to God and you are committing sin, it's going to hurt. There's going to be a sense of guilt. You're going to know that it's wrong. You're not going to try to justify it. 
you're going to say, no, God is right, I am wrong. Now, so many folks out there want to justify what they do. Well, oh, so-and-so did it. Yeah, they were wrong too. Well, this, well, that. Justification after justification. But the bottom line comes to this. God says, I'm going to judge you. If you're not faithful, I'm going to judge. And the Scripture says that whenever we stand before God, the believers that are in Christ Jesus, when we stand before God, all the things that we didn't do according to what Christ wanted us to do, it's going to burn up. We're going to be made aware of all of the things that we did that did not line up with Jesus' teachings. And all those things before us are going to be consumed and done away with. And thereby we will be purified through that process. But those who are not in Christ... All those things, all, those, all that unfaithfulness is going to cause them to hear the words, depart from me, I never knew you. Our continuing conduct, the way that we must behave daily, has to be characterized by love, hospitality, our ministry, our faithfulness, and our contentment. Verse 5, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. Now, it says, let your life, let the way you live, our conduct, our, our uh, conversation in life, as we go through life, let it be without covetousness, which is one of the big ten. We, you know, on Wednesday nights, we, t- we, we learned the Ten Commandments and, and what the... Um, the commandment that we help them to understand kind of simplified it a little bit. It says, don't be jealous of what other people have. Don't be wanting what other people have. And we kind of shortened it down just to make fun a little bit. Don't be jelly. Right, Eli? Don't be jelly. So, but here's the thing. We allow, when, when we do want what other people uh, have or we see something uh, on television that, that uh, we, it really sparks our interest and we decide we want to get it, then we take our focus on what we need to be doing and we start focusing on that. I went to a family re- reunion or family gathering yesterday. My brother had a brand new Nissan pickup truck. Man, was that thing pretty. It was, br- it was bright red, a black interior. I opened up the door to look in it and it was that new car smell. So, and I was like, whoo. I backed out and shut the door. Boom. Nope. I don't, want to get the, I don't want to get that sickness. I don't want to, I don't want to get that, um, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. But anyway, I was like, I'm glad he's got it. I don't need it. I got exactly what I need, and I'm happy with it. Because I can't pay that note. I'm, I'm proud that he can, but I can't. But that thing was nice. I mean, it was fine. And days gone past, I'd probably been saying, hmm, you know what? I might need me a truck. But, you know... We bog ourselves down with so many things when we start trying to keep up with the Joneses, when we start do, getting things or, or uh, uh, things get our attention. When they get our attention, what is it taking our attention off of? That's what we've got to think about. If we're focusing on the things of the earth, we're certainly not focusing on the things of heaven. So we need to make sure that what we are doing is being content with what we have so that we can look 
forward to the things that God has for us. How is your wanter? I got that written in the outline. Is your wanter, wanter working overtime? Um, now, in Mark chapter 10, verse 21, Jesus was dealing with this young man that came to him and says, I, I want to know how to get to heaven. What must I do in order to get to heaven? And Jesus told him, you've got to keep all the commandments. And he says, well, I've done that. I've done that since I was young. But Jesus called him to something. And what I, what I realized in that was Jesus wasn't just talking about his possessions. He was talking about the, the man. He said, go sell everything you have and come follow me. You know, I, I don't know if I've ever really considered that on a little bit deeper level than just what Jesus said. Jesus says, go get rid of all your stuff and give yourself away. Jesus had already said, you know, birds have nests, foxes have holes. I don't have a place to lay my head. And Jesus says, I want you to give everything away and come and be my slave. Come and give yourself to me. And the guy backed up, left sorrowful because he was unwilling to do what Jesus had called him to do. And by the way, he calls us the same way. He says, all the stuff that you have, not really yours. Come and give yourself to me completely. Without any strings attached, without any things here or there, without any reservation, submit yourself to me. That's salvation. That is salvation. Jesus didn't soften it and just say, oh well, accept me into your heart. Pray this prayer and you'll be okay. Uh, he said, there's got to be a sacrifice. You've got to give away everything, and then you've got to follow me as a slave. You see, when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, what we're doing is we're giving away the right to ourself. We're giving God the title deed of our life, and then we're following Him for the continuation as Christ lives in us. We follow Him every day. We can't do that if we're not content with what we have here and now. Because the chasing of things, the chasing of material success and material things is going to keep us preoccupied and not listening to what God wants. So when our wanter works too hard, we will work too hard for what we want. Being content with what we have allows us to focus on heavenly things instead of earthly things. Be known for your contentment. Verse 6 says, So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The last thing that we need to be known for is for giving God glory. Giving God glory. The scripture is Old Testament quotation, uh, Psalms chapter 27. And it says, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. God provides for me, I don't have to worry about anything. That sounds a whole lot like Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Going back to Matthew, I mean, I'm sorry, Psalm 27. 
Listen to the full verse, first verse. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war may rise against me. In this, I will be content or confident in the fact that God is His strength, in the fact that God is in charge of His life, that God is the light of His salvation. How important to you is praising God? Got a lot of shows on television, the, the, the fear factor, the X factor, all those kinds of things. How's, how's your praise factor? How... If you were hooked up to a meter from 1 to 10 and you started praising God and, and you're praising God uh, loudly all the time would be a 10 and, and not praising at all would be a 0, where would you be in that, that dial? You see, what we've got to do is we've got to understand that giving God glory is our purpose. Our life, the way we live, the things that we do, our continuing conduct is because we want to give God glory. When we're focused on ourselves, we're not worried about loving other people. We're not worried about being hospitable or our ministry or being faithful or being content. When we love ourselves, when we're worried about ourselves, then we can't be focused on praising God because we're praising ourselves or building ourselves up. So in order for us to continue walking in a godly way, we've got to make sure that we are praising God. Because when we give Him glory, when we praise Him, you see, we're going to be known for our love, our hospitality, our ministry, our faithfulness, our contentment. Don't trust the natural self. Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 9 and 10 Say this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. Even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Which takes us back to Matthew 12, verse 33. A tree is known by its fruit. If you're a Christian, you're going to be known for your love, your hospitality, your ministry, your faithfulness, your contentment, and you'll be known for giving God glory. How are you doing today? How's that going? The first step is accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior, surrendering your life for Him. Because if, if you're not a Christian, none of this will make sense to you. You won't be able to do any of this. But brother and sister in Christ... How are we doing? Where does your dial register? Today's the day to make sure that we get it right and we seek to be known as a Christian. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, you are amazing and wonderful in all your ways. Long-suffering toward us and that when we come to our senses come back to you and repent. You forgive us of all of our sins 
and make us once again rejoice in you. Father, I'm asking for your mercy and your grace today on your people. For those that are here that don't know salvation or that haven't accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, I ask for you to draw them to yourself, having them to give you everything so that you can bless them with everything you have. So Lord, today this altar is open for whatever it is that you call people to do. And I ask for your blessing on it. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand for a hymn of invitation this morning. <laughs>